0: Welcome to the Inquisitive VC. Today I'm speaking with Kinjil Shah from Blockchain Capital. Kinjil is an early stage investor at Blockchain Capital working with founders building the future of crypto. She is also a founding member of Komorebi Collective, a DAO making investments exclusively in female and non-binary crypto founders. Previously, she spent time at Fidelity Investments and Tufts University. We talk about Komorebi Collective, crypto consumer products, DAOs access to information for new users and more. I hope you enjoy this episode. So I thought it would be great to start off with your background, how you got into the world of crypto and venture capital.
1: Yeah, so I joined uh, blockchain capital about three years ago. And prior to this, I had a very uh, traditional financial services background. So I worked at a uh, bank, well not a bank, but a asset manager, um, Fidelity Investments in Boston. And they are known for you know, being pretty progressive in the, in the crypto space and um, you know, have done a lot of work in the, on blockchain more broadly. And so I got introduced to the space when I was actually working at Fidelity on a project um, and kind of just fell in love and felt like this is the future of finance and even more broadly future of um, just a lot of different industries around the, the entire world. And so I wanted to do so this full time. Um, I actually came across blockchain capital when I was on vacation uh, in San Francisco, visiting some friends, I got connected. um, And yeah, ever since then I've been on the investing side, which has been really um, a really rewarding experience.
0: Fantastic. And how has, how has the experience been with blockchain capital compared to, I guess, life at Fidelity? How has the difference in that two worlds been?
1: Yeah. I mean, I it's, it's very different. So I think at Fidelity, I was more focused on strategy and as it relates to different product launches. Um, So it's much more of like a consulting model, whereas in investing, it's just a completely different um, model. But I think like the biggest change was just how, you know, independent the work is in terms of you can kind of decide what you're interested in. You can um, pick areas to kind of dig deeper into. Uh, basically design your days to learn and meet with some amazing people and, and research the, you know, what's, what, what's happening in the crypto ecosystem, which really felt um, like a complete change from, you know, coming from Fidelity. Um, And then I just say like the other piece is just, I'm working a lot closer with, with smaller companies and with like, you know, protocols themselves. Um, And so that's definitely an experience that I think is, is unique.
0: For sure. I'm quite interested to know about your story behind Komorebi Fund and how that came to be.
1: Yeah, so uh, I've been investing now for three years, and um, I always want to see more women when I'm, you know, in conversations with founders. And I I really just felt like it's it's not just a crypto, you know, problem. I think it's a broader tech and VC um, conversation around getting more, funding for female founders, female and non-binary founders. And so I started hosting female office hours um, and just having people come drop in and, and schedule time with me just to chat. Um, and then eventually this kind of uh, turned into what can, I, what can I do to like take this even further? And I linked up with Syndicate Protocol, which is a, a new project that's basically DAO um, infrastructure. And we started working on the idea of Coma Review with She256 and Women in Blockchain. So those are two organizations that are trying to further um, education and sort of awareness for specifically for females um, and non-bi- non-binary, non either founders or engineers or operators or whoever, or whoever it may be. And so uh, we decided to, to launch a DAO. I think launching a fund comes with a lot of paperwork. It's expensive. It's somewhat inaccessible. Raising with LPs is, is certainly its own endeavor. And what we really wanted to do was, could we just come up with like a, a, a really passionate group of people who want to support this mission um, and start putting some dollars behind it and spin it up relatively quickly? And so within a matter of weeks, Comoribi was, was founded. Um, and now we have about 30, 35 members who are um, contributing to the, to, the, to the DAO and we're kind of making investment decisions.
0: That's quite exciting. And has there been investments made already?
1: Yeah. So we actually are in the process of, of making our first investment right now. Um, I can't uh, disclose it yet, just because we haven't um, closed on it yet. But yeah, we're you know we're targeting uh, you know four or five investments I think over the course of this year.
0: For sure. I've been thinking a lot about how projects that form as um how they will scale without having you know a clear leader compared to a lot of these traditional tech companies which are led by founders. Um, I don't know if you saw, but Kane, um, the founder of synthetics, he had stepped back into a passive role once there was a governing council set out, and then he recently published, uh, that he's, his intention to run for the, uh, the council now and return as one of the leaders of the project. Um, so I, I would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, what you think about how, how DAO leadership should function and, and how it would help scale.
1: Yeah, it's a. It's really like a question, I think, around like how humans self-organize and like what we can do when, um, you know, we break down hierarchical structures versus when we have like a little more hierarchy in place. So um, I my, my like mental model for it, the way that it is right now is we're, we're kind of unbundling the organization. We're saying we're gonna we're gonna develop these like DAOs that are more grassroots, where you can opt in or opt out depending on your skill set, and you can kind of build something from there. So that's like step one, and then I think step two is going to involve some degree of of uh, hierarchy or some degree of rebundling. But I think the manner in which it rebundles is going to be different. I think it's going to be based on uh, proof of work, <laughs> like literally proof of work. Right. I think it'll it'll potentially be more of a meritocracy in terms of folks who are contributing to a DAO can kind of prove themselves into um, more of a leadership role. Um, And I also think that there's going to be like voter delegation where there will be some decisions that the entire DAO might be voting on Um, But once those decisions are made, then they're kind of signing off and delegating the the decisions under that particular, um, you know, whatever that broader decision is, they're saying, okay, anything related to this is going to be in the hands of XYZ, which is what we're starting to see with committees being formed, whether it's like the grants committee or some of the other committees that are being formed. So I think we're naturally going to see some more rebundling, but it really is just a question of how you rebundle, what checks and balances are put in place. How reputation is measured, and I think from that we'll start to see more scalable DAOs. And then the last piece here—I know I just said a lot—but the last piece here that I would I would think about is, um, you know, the concept of DAOs scaling can mean many different things. On one hand, scaling can mean that there's a lot of people contributing, right? We can think of a massive organization. The second way of, of scaling is just thinking about um, the the revenue generated by the DAO and the product that they they're actually working on. So I would argue, you know. Something like Uniswap is a DAO at scale when you think about the amount of trading volume that they process on a day-to-day basis. Um, but I imagine you know they have 100 employees or something like that. It's a fairly small organization when, when you think of the DAO of, of folks who are working on it full-time. That being said, like Uniswap token holders, they make up the entire network and that might be thousands and thousands of people. But my point being is that like, the scale might be measured in terms of um, the reach of the actual product itself. Um, or something else, you know, whatever, whatever other measures might come along. But I just think like those metrics of of what a Dow scaling looks like might change and might not just mean, um, you know, it's the number of people involved.
0: Yeah, that's quite insightful. Definitely like something that's very interesting to see how it's going to play out. And as a, you know, VC investing in the space, what do you think are, you know, or what are you looking for in terms of, Infrastructure that you think is quite necessary at this point that that you haven't seen yet.
1: In terms of things that I haven't seen yet, I think we're starting to see a lot of like the major gaps that I was I had highlight like personally highlighted um, start to get filled. And so some of those I'll just name off a couple. Um, first is like treasury management. I think that we're starting to see a lot of uh, teams build better products and tools for treasury management. And I think what you'll start to see is. Um, Within treasury management, there's like a, a, a bottoms up and there's like a top down version. And the bottoms up version of treasury management is how do we pay our contributors? Uh, like how do we actually um, basically do payroll? And then the top down is what, it, maybe it's top down It's not the right phrasing, but the top down version is, okay, how do we take this massive treasury that we have and ensure it meets our objectives as a protocol um, or as a DAO more broadly? And like, you know, that might mean, stabilizing into some sort of stable coin or that might mean um, increasing yield opportunities or incentivizing participation through token rewards or whatever that might look like. Um, But I think those are kind of the two ends of the spectrum there. Um, So that's kind of more on the financial side. And then the second side is all about coordination and what coordination will look like within DAO. So I think we're starting to see tools like Collabland um, that's done really well or um, even protocols like Orca um, or Colony Protocol uh, or, or colonies like um, Interface for DAOs, which is you know all about coordination and how DAOs will organize over time and communicate with one another um, and how users will communicate with one another. So I'd say like those are the two biggest areas that I see right now. And then moving forward, um, I think there's going to be this like gap of okay, now we have all these DAOs, but how do we maintain? new users, like make sure the funnel of new users coming into DAOs is strong, that people understand how to contribute to a DAO, um, that DAOs can sort of last for whatever extent of period of time that they want to last for. And then also just like scaling infrastructure. So things that we're already starting to see with like, you know, Polygon, um, but also just how do we kind of let these things scale. So from a tech perspective. um, So those are some of the areas that I'm thinking about right now. And I think what we're we're kind of in this moment where um, I think everyone is, is building based on pain points, which I is great. Um, I think that's like really a great way to start building a new product in the governance space is like, what's your pain point And then how can I solve it? And then over time, we're going to start to see um, the evolution of like the stack either horizontally or vertically as a lot of these integrations kind of, kind of join forces.
0: Yeah. It's definitely an exciting time. What about, protocols and, and platforms like Syndicate, you know, essentially building those interesting protocols that, that allow those specific use cases for DAOs. Are you seeing a lot of that kind of specificity?
1: I would say on the investment side, definitely we're seeing multiple, but I don't think uh, we've, we've quite seen it in other regards. Um, and I think the reason being is right now, at least, you know, the, the biggest DAO categories to start off with had been in the protocol world um, with like the rise of all of these DeFi DAOs. And from there, we've kind of gone into um, now the more like social DAOs, investment DAOs, um, NFT related DAOs. But I would say that's like very much uh, happened in the last 12 months or 16 months. Um, and so I, I think we're, we'll start to see more specialized infrastructure, but um, it's still pretty early, I would say right now.
0: Yeah. And I saw earlier today, you tweeted, I worry a lot about crypto feeling like an insider game. A few years ago, it felt like anyone and everyone could become a part of the community. Nowadays, there are so many ways to go astray. Could you elaborate on that and, and what you mean by it?
1: Yeah, for sure. So when I joined um, like the the broader crypto ecosystem, you know, it's been basically four years now, three and a half years, and it felt really... Um, it felt very like consumable, like all the content that was being created. Um, there were very few folks who I think had these like massive media empires built around crypto. Uh, it, there was a, a lot of like openness, like people were really willing to chat. Um, it just felt like a much smaller. I mean, I think this is just like the growing pains of any industry. It just felt a lot smaller. And what I'm starting to see today and I struggle with is um there are so many new folks that are trying to come on board and there are so many different ways that they can get their information that the the quality of the information diet is um, not as high as I think it used to be. And so by that, I, you know, I'm not thinking of any one particular channel, but, you know, I think we're starting to hear it more and more of um, people investing in things that they don't fully understand or people joining particular projects that they don't fully like, you know, maybe they don't, um, they haven't like come up to speed entirely on it. And it just feels hard. Like if I were to put myself in somebody else's shoes today, who's like, I want to get involved in crypto. It just feels really painful and kind of um, intimidating. And, you know, it was intimidating to me back then. um, So I can't even imagine what it must feel like today. And I think like sitting on the insider side of things, and I don't mean insider in the lens of like, I wasn't pointing to any one particular group. And obviously, you know, I'm an investor. You can say that I'm an insider. It's more just the idea that sometimes you're so deep, you can't really like put yourself in the shoes of a a complete new, you know, new person in crypto. And um, yeah, it's just, I think it's challenging. And I've been having a lot of conversations lately with women who are wanting to get involved and asking for resources and asking for ways to do so. And um, yeah, I just don't want to lose that ability to bring new people in.
0: Yeah, I, I'm definitely seeing that as well. A lot of the conversations I've been having with new people entering crypto is where is the best place to access that the, the good and easy to understand information?
1: And I think that part of the challenge there is, you know, I can send you a list of, of articles. I could probably send you like 50 hours of reading. Um, but I think like sitting in a room and reading for 50 hours is, is a really tough ask for saying like, oh, you want to get involved? Um, Here's like, you know, a month's worth of homework. I think like there needs to be a better way to get people to start using products, to test them out, to like actually play with them and have it not feel like we're giving them, you know, like an overwhelming amount of like homework to do. Um, So yeah, I think that's like a little bit of the conversation I'm having as well. It's like, oh, I can find all these lists, but like that doesn't necessarily mean that it, it all makes sense to me, so.
0: So what do you suggest um, apart from just reading then?
1: Yeah, so I think a couple of things. I mean, I think you definitely have to take a learning mindset for sure. Um, And I do think crypto takes work to get involved and I think that's okay. But I would say like, uh, you know, if you can think about having like your own little education fund, maybe you can put like $50 into it or $100 into it and start playing around with um, either like the NFT space or DeFi or whatever it is that interests you but actually start like trading and using some of the products. That's what I would say is number one. And then number two, like DAOs are actually a really cool way to make friends in the space. Um, And they're relatively like, I think they're relatively accessible and welcoming and warm. And so if you can um, get involved with a DAO or do some reading on DAOs and like start one yourself with like a group of friends, but basically find people who you can talk to crypto with. Um, I think those are like the top two things I would do in, in addition to like reading. But you know, I think without having the second piece of like socialization or trying out products, it's hard to sort of internalize what you're what you're learning.
0: For sure. Definitely agree on that. Um in the 2021 Crypto Crystal ball halftime edition, um, one of your predictions was the industry will see its first true social consumer application take off the non-crypto audience. Um, I'd love to hear more about that. What part of crypto do you think will bring this to reality?
1: Yeah. So, okay. I guess there's like a couple of things that we can talk about right in my, in my prediction there. One, like what is the consumer application? Two, what is mainstream? Um, three, I would argue like NBA Top Shot did it uh, to a certain degree. Um, you know, I was having conversations that with friends who do not know anything about crypto who were purchasing like their NBA top shots and were really excited about the product. And so um, that was like a retail oriented product that was fun to use that got um, a lot of my friends to purchase like their first NFT. Um, So I'd say like maybe NBA top shot might have been like that consumer, like, you know, hit that we've seen, but really what I'm, what I'm kind of starting to see more and more of is uh, I I think we we have like infrastructure in place or we have infrastructure that is going to be in place soon that will allow for like social interactions um, within crypto to, to scale a little bit more. So that could mean like social trading that could be um, like DAOs and just how people like join DAOs and, and talk to one another. It could be just you know NFT platforms. It could be using NFTs in a gaming environment or using NFTs in some sort of metaverse environment. I think like there's so many different flavors, but we've had a lot of discussions in the past six months in crypto about all the things that I'm saying, I'm talking about right now. Um, and so it feels like this is the time to to do something um, to build like a consumer focused application in crypto. And it just wasn't as feasible the past few years. It was much more um, financial services heavy.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think this year and the past year has been so interesting in terms of the growth of NFTs um, and gaming as well in crypto. Um, and that's what I w- I'd like to pick at, the, at, at Axie Infinity. Um, I'm sure you must have heard of it. I guess I would probably fall in, in with one of those, you know, potential consumer applications in crypto taking off.
1: Absolutely. Um, I love what Axie's doing. I mean, like they... I, I think as of yesterday, maybe they became like the top or maybe not yesterday, as of like this past month, they became the top grossing um, DAP on Ethereum. And especially like the work that they're doing with play to earn and in making it like feasible for somebody to earn their income, which is so cool. Um, and so if we like extrapolate, extrapolate what happened with Axie and Zoom out, I imagine in 10 years, there's going to be a cohort of people who can make their in- entire income online, um, and you know we've talked about this a lot. Like you wake up and you go to work in the in the metaverse and what that might look like. But I really do think that we're going to start to see like right now it's all what we call knowledge work, where you have to be like an engineer or a designer or um, you know like whatever an investor, somebody who's going online to work every single day is typically regarded as being a knowledge worker. Fast forward 10 years. And hopefully it's accessible to anyone around the world who can participate in online economies, whether it's through games, through DAOs, through crypto more broadly. Um, I just think that this is gonna change the way that labor works around the world. And I think like Axie is a great example of of what that could look like. Um, And so I would say between, yeah, you're, you're right. Between Axie and like NBA Top Shot, those are like true consumer use cases I think that we've seen. One is like more playful with the collectible and Axie is a great game, but it's also like changing the trajectory of lives of, of people, um, you know, working in the Philippines.
0: Yeah, I, I find that so interesting and, and fascinating. Um, I think over the past, I guess, few years, crypto has really grown in terms of applications and use cases, as we've discussed. How do you personally stay across everything, you know, as, as a crypto VC um, and as I, my understanding is, Blockchain Capital is a generalist crypto VC. So how do you stay across the entire spectrum of stuff that's happening?
1: Yeah, so we are definitely generalists. um, And I would say it's increasingly more difficult to be a a generalist in this space. Um, You know, it it used to be that I felt I could wake up every day and read all the news that's happening in crypto. um, And now I like can't keep up. So uh, it's definitely like a tougher conversation. And the way that um, at least at Blockchain Capital, like we've You know, started to sort of divide up the industry into areas of focus. So I myself spend a lot of time thinking about these consumer applications, looking at NFTs and DAOs, um, thinking about gaming and some of the infrastructure associated with all of these. That's that's really where I spend a majority of my time. Um, I'm still like keeping up with everything happening in DeFi, and I still think it's you know I'm, I'm still like wanting to understand, but I. Kind of know like what my primary focus is going to be versus my secondary focus and then vice versa. Other team members are more focused on DeFi or other team members are more focused on um, governance or whatever that might look like. So uh, yeah, that's kind of the reality is that, it, you know, you kind of need a team of people now to keep up with crypto and then make sure that you're sharing learnings across the table. So it doesn't feel like you have to go do all the reading yourself.
0: For sure. And if you had to pick like one sector to actually go after you know, we mentioned a few DeFi, NFT, DAOs, or consumer-focused applications, what would you pick?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think right now I would pick consumer. And what I mean by consumer is anything that helps onboard the next, you know, 10 million users of crypto. Um, And so whether that's some flavor of, you know, doing something in the DAO space or in the NFT space, like that's still up for debate. Um, But I'm really excited about like helping scale crypto to more global markets more global user bases um, making it open and accessible all of the things that we've been talking about for quite you know quite some time but then actually turning it into a reality I think is um, probably what I would want to spend most of my time on.
0: For sure Um, that is definitely exciting I I think applications like Lolly really help that as well.
1: Yeah absolutely I think like the question or maybe not the question but like the framework is um, products that require a change in user behavior versus products that require that don't require it and it can kind of be put into the flow of what you're doing. So I love Lolly as an example where if I'm shopping, like it doesn't require too much of a shift in my behavior to have a Chrome extension plugged in that just gives me Bitcoin every time I, I do like an online purchase versus like requiring someone to to open up an entirely new product um, to like shop online.
0: Yeah exactly um and so just wrapping up I guess here um with with a couple more questions um a secret obsession of yours that not many people know about what what would that be
1: um I really love painting I love painting all sorts of things recently it's been painting sneakers so I've been slowly going around my family and making everybody custom Nikes. <laughs> so, um, that's what I do in my, uh, my spare time.
0: That's really cool. Have you been making them into NFTs as well?
1: I haven't, no, but I would love to like release an NFT collection in the future. Um, definitely on my, on my wish list of things to do.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and what's the latest investment you've made and why did you make it?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I'm not sure about the latest in terms of what I can uh, like actively disclose, but I will talk about um, an investment that we announced like earlier this year uh, in a protocol called Upshot. Um, And I'm really excited about Upshot. They're basically doing um, NFT appraisals and NFT um, price discovery. And it's a major problem. I think like two of the biggest problems in the NFT space right now are Price discovery and liquidity, right? Like being able to actually um, deliver some sort of reasonable uh, pricing mechanism, and then the second is like around IP and and digital rights management. So um, yeah, the CEO Nick has come up with a really interesting protocol design to be able to basically crowdsource um, price estimates based on uh, like kind of like a fun you know um, hot or not app where you're kind of like rating NFTs based on like. The subjectivity but within um, a large enough sample within like the entire group you can kind of come down to what would be a relative value for an NFT compared to something else. Um, so yeah really cool product uh, interest- interesting design space and um, Nick is awesome so I'm really excited about that.
0: Yeah that I saw that as well that is definitely interesting. Um, I, I've seen a handful of other I guess projects trying to go down that that space in terms of appraisals and and valuing nfts so i think that's going to be super interesting to see um how that actually ends up Um, but yeah that's um that's all i had thank you so much for joining me
1: yeah same here thanks so much for having me